Thanks, Ali. Great to have that uh, reading before us. I'd love you to... Um, oh, yeah, you can have that. And do you want this as well? Is that someone's? That's yours. Great. Let me divest myself of other things up here and we'll, we'll get underway. Um, so we're going to look at that reading tonight and that's where we're going to be camping out. So if you can keep that handy, that would be great. How about I pray and uh, ask God to help us and uh, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you spoke through Isaiah. We thank you that we can hear those words tonight and we pray that you, the author, will take these words now and speak afresh to us. By your Holy Spirit, Father, would you change us and shape us to be more like Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Excellent. Well, I wonder how many of you had any trouble finding this place tonight. Did you get here okay? You did? Uh, I've already met some people here for the first time, so well done, guys. Great work. Uh, through the week, uh, Michael and Jeff and I are often in here, and we get people who come in who don't know what this building is. Did you know that? They, they come in and uh, they ask, so this is the council, is that right? And uh, they really do... We, Michael, you're, you, you see it, don't you? Yeah, a few times we, we have guys who, and girls who come in and they just go, oh, this is the council? You know, can I pay my rates or whatever it is? Of course, I'm happy to take their money, but, you know. Uh, um, so I sort of think to myself, well, didn't you see the sign? Didn't you have to get past a sign to actually get in here? Uh, does anyone know what it says on our sign? No, because you haven't seen my sign. Uh, uh, so it says new life on it, Yes. Yes, it says new life. Great answer. Good answer. So it says new life on it. And it's actually got a set of words underneath it. Has anyone seen them? Graham, you have. Anglican Church. Okay, that's very good. Excellent. And then under that, in some kind of handwriting kind of font, are some other words. Does anyone know? That's great. No problems. All right, I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. Don't worry. I've anticipated. Sorry? Yeah, very good. Yep. Hope community and a fresh start is what it says underneath. So our sign says New Life Anglican Church, and then it says Hope, Community, and a Fresh Start underneath it. Uh, I love these words. I think they're really great. Tonight, though, I want us to think about the first of those words. I want us to think about hope. So when we say to our community, hey, we're a place that is defined by hope, I kind of want us to think together, where does that hope really come from? So if we say we're a community defined by hope, where does that hope really come from. Here's some of that hope in, uh, in the book of 1 John. It says, my dear children, isn't that a wonderful way to address the church? My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. In other words, we've got a lawyer who helps us out, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Basically, he will wipe out our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, something great hopefully has happened to us, but more than just us, there is actually hope here, it says, for the whole world. So we've been, we're doing a series in the Old Testament called On Mission with God in the Old Testament, and we've seen that God's mission will be specific. God will pick a people called Israel, and they will be his chosen nation. And he's going to focus on them. So the, the, the mission will be specific, but again and again and again through our series, we've been seeing that God's mission is also global. It includes the Gentiles. It includes the Gentiles. And uh, if you watch this next one, you'll see what the idea is. The idea is that Israel will be the way that God's message comes to the nations. 
And uh, I changed the word Gentiles there to outsiders, okay? The idea being Gentiles is the catch-all, the, the word that sums up everyone who's not part of Israel. So God actually has a plan for Israel to take his good news and change the world. And, and we see that promise right at the start with a guy called Father Abraham. Uh, in Genesis 12, we actually see that Abraham was given a promise that told us even before the nation of Israel had come to be, the whole world was in view. Here's what it says. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. See, God is saying here right from the start, Israel, you're going to be really important to me. I'm going to, I'm going to bless and curse whoever blesses and curses you, but... But the plan is that through you, a blessing will come to all the peoples of the earth. It's pretty encouraging. Every nation on the earth is in view, even as God founds the nation of Israel. I've just remembered as I'm explaining this, uh, this connection, we've actually got a question and answer time at the end as well. So if you have questions as I go through, jot them down. I would love to hear them as we go. So tonight we're looking at this book of Isaiah, and uh, I think it was on... What is it, page uh, 738, is that right? Where we've got Isaiah 56. If you can get that open, that'd be great. Um, this guy, Isaiah, how does he fit into the Bible? Well, Isaiah is writing sometime between 740 and 680 BC, so about 700 years before Jesus. It's at the end of the time of the kings, hence the crown, and before Israel is kicked out of the land in exile, which is the broken down building picture. Okay, So Isaiah is writing to the people and saying, guys, you're in danger. Your ongoing sin is leading to a state where you will actually lose the promised land. But Isaiah doesn't just speak about his time. He tells us through prophecy something of the return of God's people, and he even looks further ahead to the end times, judgment, and the new heavens. So in this one book, we have news for today, Something about the near future and then the distant future is all in this book written 700 years before Jesus, which is pretty cool. So what is God doing in this world? Well, I think right from the start, what we've seen is that God is drawing outsiders to himself. Remember from the Garden of Eden, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God put outside the garden? Anyone remember? An angel with... A fiery sword saying, don't come back here. But the God who excluded sinful people is all the time drawing them back to himself. And so that is what he is doing in the world. In fact, we see this in, uh, in chapter 56. So if you can open that up, uh, chapter 6 and verses 1 to 3. God's speaking to Israel, but we see that he looks beyond them as well. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. See, God's saying here that actually, it's a strange way of saying it. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. It's a bit of a head-scratching thing. What he's basically saying is, foreigners will be able to say they belong to God. 
Okay? Foreigners will be able to say they belong to God. So how will God accept foreigners? Well, I'm going to tell you three things tonight about the way God accepts foreigners into his plan. And the first one is by gathering them to himself. And um, I thought of a chairlift. Uh, God picking people up and drawing them into himself. Okay? So the first thing we're going to see is that God is the one who will do the gathering of people far beyond him. Uh, so if we look uh, down at verses 6 to 8 of chapter 56, we see this. Again, it mentions foreigners. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and those who hold fast to my covenant, these, verse 7, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations." The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. It actually sounds a little bit like Jesus who said, I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. Do you remember that? What he's saying is, God is saying, I'm going to gather Israel, but I'm going to gather more than Israel. I'm going to gather foreigners as well. And you'll notice that these people who he gathers will have two distinctives about them. The first is that they'll be Sabbath keepers. Can anyone tell me what is the Sabbath? Anyone know? Sorry? Seventh day, Carrie, you said? The day of rest. Yeah, the Sabbath is the day of rest. Does anyone know what the Jewish Sabbath was? What day of the week it was? Yeah, that's right. It's Saturday. Uh, and our day of Sabbath is, does anyone know why the difference? Sorry? Catholics changed it. Okay, well, that's probably true. Uh, we're all Catholics for a, uh, a good number of thousands of years. So, uh, but here's the thing. Jesus rose on what day? Sunday, first day of the week. And uh, so our Sabbath is on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Here we note, though, that the people who God will draw to himself will be Sabbath keepers. Have a look in, in uh, 56.2. It says, Blessed is the one who does this, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. We understand not doing evil, but it's interesting to note the Sabbath. We see it again there in verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him and be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it. And you think to yourself, why is the Sabbath so important? If God's going to draw strangers to himself, why does the Sabbath matter? Here's three reasons why keeping the Sabbath would matter. The first one is it was a point of difference. I was reading this week and I found out that no other contemporary culture had a Sabbath. Bear with me. What does that mean? It means that the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, none of them had a day off to stop working. Does that surprise you? Particularly in Australia, we love our weekends, don't we, right? Imagine a society where nobody stopped ever doing their work. Every day is a work day. Now, increasingly, our laws change, don't they? So that I think we're heading in that direction, uh, taking penalty rates and all that away. But here's the thing. If you kept a Sabbath, you were doing something at odds with the rest of the world. It was a point of difference. Secondly, I think Sabbath, and this applies to us as well, I think Sabbath is about dependence. See, what happens when I don't work? Sorry? You don't get paid. That's really good. You don't get paid. And what happens if you work a farm? Actually, you can probably help us with this. What happens if you work a farm, mate, and you take a day off? Don't get anything done. 
and maybe everything gets a bit more feral than it was just before, right? So it actually gets worse if you take a day off. You don't get any income and the things that you were looking after get worse. So if you're someone who says, I will keep the Sabbath, what you are essentially saying is, I'm going to depend on God. Do you see this? If I take a day off, I'm saying I'm not in charge of the world. I'm actually handing the world back to the one who holds it and I'm going to take a day of rest. It's an awesome act of dependence on God. Thirdly, it wasn't just that you kick back in a hammock. It was actually that you would devote the day to the Lord. So it's not just a rest day, but it's a day of worship. Yeah? So the Israelites stopped working and started loving, devoting themselves to God. Now, gee, I think this is challenging to us, isn't it? Michelle helpfully brought the commandments before us. Uh, It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Here's an amazing thing. It was a point of difference for the people of Israel. It showed their dependence on the holy God and it was the day of devotion for them. So what's God looking for in outsiders? People who keep the Sabbath. Well, we can understand now, can't we? Why that would be the case. Secondly, they'll be promised people. They'll be promised people, people of the promise. It says there, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. So people who know what God's promise is and hang on to it tightly. I want you to see, so that's being faithful or trusting. If you hold on to God's uh, promise, you're a trusting person. You're someone who believes that God will do what he's promised. Okay, so you're a trusting person. Secondly, I want you to see what God promises. These I will bring to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. And we might think to myself, if I become a covenant person, what will I have to give up, right? If I trust in God's promises, what will I lose? Here God says, if you're a covenant person, I will give you something you don't have. I will give you joy, not happiness, not something passing, but a deep and abiding joy. So they'll be joy-filled. That's what God says he'll give them. But I want you to notice something else. Uh, God is saying that their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, this passage is really important because God is saying, my temple in Jerusalem, I'm going to draw outsiders into it, and I want that to be a place where prayers are offered from people from all nations. Now, in the Bible, Jesus is angry only a very few times. Do you remember this? Uh, It's in the temple, one of these moments, Jesus is in the temple, and what does he do when he sees the money changes and the people selling doves? Anyone know what he does? Chucks the tables over. It's a pretty graphic scene. Chucks the tables over, releases the doves, and it actually says he chases people out with a whip of cords that he made. I I I don't know if that kind of surprises you, right? Jesus chasing people out and doves and coins, carnage, right? And you might think to yourself, was Jesus just having a bad hair day? Like, what, why, why was he so aggro agri- about this? I think we see it in this passage right here, right? There was a designated space in the temple that was set aside for Gentiles, for outsiders to come in. And in that place, a 7-Eleven had been set up, okay? It was all buying and selling, money exchange, doves, whatever. And what, what, what Jesus saw was, actually, you're stopping the mission of God in the temple, You are crowding out the Gentiles while you're trying to make money for yourself. And guess what? Made Jesus furious. And so this passage here in Isaiah explains Jesus' anger. Isn't that helpful? 
explains why he was so upset. Because God's passion is to see the Gentiles, the outsiders, come in. Well, that was the first thing, that God will gather. The second thing is about one of my favorite words, photo, phototropic. Phototropic. I love phototropic. Phototropic means attracted to the light. Okay? So if the lights go out here and there's one light over there, all of us will be looking at the light. Okay? None of us will have our hands in our pockets staring blankly into the darkness over here. I promise you, just like moths, we will be fixated on the light. Phototropic, attracted to the light. Okay? Now, can you see this plant here? It's brilliant, isn't it? What's it doing? It is reaching for the light at the window. It's actually physically straining towards it. Plants are phototropic as well. You know, in a rainforest, as they all grow up and battle for the sunlight, that's what they're doing. They're battling for the light, attracted to the light. The, the second thing that God's going to do for his mission is he's going to make Israel glowing. He's going to set a light inside of his people. So I want you to come with me to chapter 60 of Isaiah, just over the pages, page or two. I think it was 742. Isaiah chapter 60, and I want you to listen to where the light comes from and what it means for God's people. Chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine. He's speaking to Israel, saying, Israel, arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of nations will come. Isn't this brilliant? God himself will be the light in Israel and they will shine. And the nations will be drawn to them. Now, I don't know if you noticed, uh, it, was, it, was great. it was great listening. Uh, thank you, Alex, for reading. Uh, it's great listening to all these nations, and you go, so what? Why are all these nations mentioned? Boring part of the Old Testament. If you're watching it on TV, fast forward, right? And blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Who cares about these nations, right? I want to show you why it's important to see these nations. Um, it says in uh, 60 verse 6, and all Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Does anyone know where we hear Sheba some other time in the Bible? In Solomon's day, the queen of Sheba came to Israel. So when Solomon was ruling in Israel, he was the smartest, wisest king in the world. People came. But now it won't be just one person coming. It'll actually be a whole horde of people, all from Sheba, will come. Sheba is down south. So they're coming up to Israel. Secondly, we hear about Tarshish in chapter 60, verse 9. Surely the islands will look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing children from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he's endowed you with splendor. Can anyone remember where we last heard about Tarshish? Sorry? In Jonah, in the story of Jonah. Remember, why was Jonah trying to go to Tarshish? That's right, because it was the end of the world. It was as far away as you can get. It was Spain, right? And here it's saying, not that you can run away from God in Tarshish, but the message of God will reach even to Tarshish, and ships will come from there back to Israel. Isn't that incredible? I guess where on the compass Tarshish is, Spain is from Israel. 
Anyone got it? What, what side is that? Never eat soggy wheat bix. Okay, it's west. Very good. Okay, from the west, people will come. Then it says Lebanon. Uh, in 60 verse 13, we see the glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place for my feet. Do you know what came from Lebanon in other places in the Old Testament? Sorry? Cedars. Why did they bring cedars? Cedars was the best timber around, and they brought it to be the paneling inside the temple of the Lord. So from cedar, wood has come. But now what are we seeing? Not wood. Not wood is coming. But people will come from the north. See that there? From the north will come. Where will they come to? From all points of the compass, people will come to Zion. Have a listen to this amazing picture of the city. The children of your oppressor will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call on the city of the Lord. Zion, the Holy One of Israel, although you've been forsaken and hated with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink milk, the milk of nations, and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, milk and breasts and what's that about? Here's the point. Here's the point, right? The best... The most intimate, the most loving place will be your place. The nations will contribute everything to you from the north, from the west, from the south. And if you look into the text, you can find things that are east of them as well. From all points of the compass, the whole world will come to Zion, to Jerusalem, God's holy city. That's incredible, isn't it? So God is going to make Israel shine and everyone will come. They will come for salvation. It says in 55.5, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. There's something in Israel that is attractive to the whole world and the nations can't help it. They will run. They will run to the Lord. So Israel's light will draw and save. That's great. But we're in the Old Testament, same as in the New And wherever there's salvation, it's always salvation from. And so we need to hear that there will also be something else. There will also be judgment. For the nation or the kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. So here we see the justice of the true king. God's drawing everyone. He's saying, I've got the best for you. I've got joy. I've got security. I've got riches. Come to me. But if you resist, guess what? It's not a good choice. The king of all the earth will utterly ruin you. And so we see salvation is on offer, but judgment is always at hand. So the first thing God will do is that he will gather them. The second thing is that he'll make Israel glowing. The third thing that he will do is he will be giving his son in order to make it possible that outsiders can be brought in. Now, in order to do this, I want you to go to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. It's right the up, up the other end of the Bible. So can you come with me to Ephesians? And uh, I didn't write the page number down. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1174. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look from verse 11 on 1174. That'd be great. Hey, uh, while you're flipping, or if you haven't flipped, can anyone tell me, what's this fence for? Sportos, this is your question. Does anyone know what this fence is for? Keep the, keep the crowd apart. Yes. What kind of crowd? Soccer. It is only soccer crowds. I don't know why this is, right? Um, 
soccer crowds are maniacs, I think, is, this, is essentially the thing. Um, in England now, so th- these, these are all over the world in soccer matches. Uh, they have these sort of barricades in between the two opposing sides so they can't actually get near each other, right? It's literally a dividing wall of hostility. You cannot get next to each other. In fact, in England now, they bring the, te- the, um, the supporters to the grounds along s- police-lined streets that are on opposite side of the stadiums, and they literally won't let you turn off these streets. So you walk down streets into the entrances and you sit in segregated base. That's how crazy they are. So here's the thing. There's a dividing wall there, a wall of hostility, and that actually helps us understand how Israel thought about the rest of the world. They thought, we are the centre of God's plan and everyone else, keep them outside and keep them away. God had a much better plan than that. I want you to see it with me uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember, he's writing to a church that was filled with Gentiles, with outsiders. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done, by, done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's pretty dire, isn't it? Without hope and without God in the world. That's what our status was. Love the buts in the Bible, yeah? Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law, with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two and thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. What did Jesus do? He made Jews and Gentiles into the Christian church. How did he destroy the dividing wall? Here, this is a pretty good tool for that. Yeah, on the cross, that's how he did it. And so my picture isn't a soccer ground uh, where there's kind of enemies on either side. I think what God's done with the church is like an Olympics crowd, right? People from every nation united together in commercialism and sport. No, he's done something much better than that, hasn't he? But but the, the every nation bit is quite good, right? No barriers, no dividing wall, but a new unity around Jesus. That's the picture. And so Jesus destroys divisions. Praise God. Second thing, uh, has anyone been to a concert recently? As I put your hand down, you have not. If you go to a concert, you could end up with these sort of bands on. They're the Access All Areas bands, right? Not just watch the band, but come behind and meet the band. Okay, Access All Areas. I love, Jesus gives us our Access All Areas pass. Have a look at verses 17 to 18. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We both have access. Jews and Gentiles can come to the Father. So Jesus' death and the Holy Spirit helps us to have access all areas with God. It's pretty good. And then thirdly, we actually have this amazing gift of citizenship. Have a look at verse 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You and I have a new citizenship. We are as well off as the Jews, with all their history descending from Abraham, were as well off as them because we've been made citizens with Jesus. Pretty good. Jesus makes us outsiders 
into insiders. So what changes between the Testaments? Let's think about this. Okay, so two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. What do we know Jesus said in the New Testament about mission? What do we need to do? Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, right? What was, it, what was the picture we've just been looking at tonight? In the Old Testament, it was inward. The idea was to draw all the nations in. Uh, that's my magnet, you see, attraction, drawing in. Like that? Right, good, very good. Uh, here's, here's the New Testament picture. The New Testament picture is outward, right? I'm going to set you on fire, God says. I'm going to fling these sparks of light out into the darkness. I reckon we should have a practical afterwards. In fact, if I'd been really switched on, we would have done that. It would have been cool. It only takes steel wool. I think steel wool, you sit in it. Here's the picture, right? The Old Testament picture was inward coming. The whole nations will come in. The New Testament picture is outward. We'll be flung out into the darkness, set on fire by the light. So where does this find fulfillment? If you were to say, what would it look like when this finally happens? Then let's fast forward to the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible. Um, Go there. Why not? Uh, Find the back page of your Bible and come back one or two pages to chapter 21. As we read this, Uh, Chapter 21, verses 22 to 27. As we read this, I want you to hear if this sounds at all like Isaiah. Are you ready? Chapter 21, Revelation. In verse 22. I did not see a temple in that city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings on earth will bring splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here's the thing. We will be flung out in mission to take God's word to the ends of the earth. And on the final day, revelation in this picture is the ends of the earth. Those who know and love the Lord will be drawn in and pour their treasure out in the holy city where the lamb is its light. Seriously, that's the best news. That's the most amazing picture. The ends of the earth will come. The mission of God will be fulfilled and nations, you and I, will pour our treasure out before the lamb and say, "You're you're the best. That's what we're looking forward to. And it will be from every nation on the earth. Spectacular. So what must we do? Well, I want to say tonight, first thing is, if you haven't come into the presence of the king already, then tonight's a great night to be saved. To say, yes, I, I understand that if I resist, it says here I'll be utterly ruined. I don't want that. I want to find the joy of being one of God's chosen ones. So come in. Tonight's great. Secondly, if you have come in, then I want you to go out. I want you to go out. I want you to go out, set on fire by God, to take his light into this dark world. And it's not just dark because it's, you know, the middle of the year and short days. No, no, it's spiritually dark. And I want you to take his light out to the ends of the earth. So what do we need to do, church? We need to live in hope, a real hope grounded in this awesome promise. We need to display community. We need to be a community filled with light so people can see that difference. And I think we need to be a people who proclaim the fresh start that God offers. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one. You are the one who brings the light. You're the one who draws Gentiles, who draws the outsiders in. Father, I thank you that we've heard your message tonight. 
I pray tonight if we've never received it, that we might say yes to you tonight. I pray for those of us who have, Father, that you might fill us up, fire us up, send us out, that we might take your light to the ends of the earth. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, I'll get fired up there. Um, tell me, have you got any questions tonight? Things that you're wondering, uh, stuff that uh, triggered off a thought for you. Or I, I want to encourage you, you, no one's taken me up on this yet. You can actually ask me anything. I might not answer it. I might say, can I talk to you about that afterwards? But you can ask me anything. Uh, but I'm particularly interested you had things to ask off the back of uh, tonight's message. Has anyone got a question? Yeah, go, Bill. Yeah, great. It's the sermon I didn't preach tonight. Um, it's the sermon I kind of alluded to tonight and then didn't preach. So three things, yeah? So it's a point of difference. It was a point of um, dependence and it was a point of devotion. Um, I think that you and I, all of us, although you're doing very well being here on Sunday night, particularly with Michelle's introduction, you could have been doing anything else tonight, right? But I think you and I need to learn what Sabbath is. Uh, we live in a country where that's possible because we have a day, in fact, two days set aside for it. Um, I think we need to work out what it means to be acting differently to the world. Okay? And so what does our world do? Uh, it, it wants to fill these days with relaxation. And I want to say to you, what if we did that bit about devotion? What if we said this is a day set aside for the love and honour of God and enjoyment of his people. Now, you think to yourself, well, how do I get my washing done? When do I mow my lawn? How do I get my I actually need to stop at some point and fall on the couch. Like, just... And all I'd say to you is, yep, that's what our world's doing. This is about a point of difference. It's not don't rest, but celebrate, devote yourself in dependence to the Lord. Okay, So I actually think we can do much better at this. And my, my encouragement, Bill, would be to say, I don't think we do it out of law. So you don't have to have a Sabbath, okay? We're saved by grace. That was the wonderful testimony we heard tonight, right? However, I think there's a, there's a Sabbath pattern built into the world by virtue of the fact that God stopped on the seventh day and rested. So you and I will be breaking something that's bound into our humanity if we just stamp all over our Sabbath rest. So my encouragement would be, I think we need to get better at Sabbath, and um, Peter said, uh, well, I said, I, I picked Peter up this morning. I said, hey, if you want to come back to church tonight, you can do church twice in the day. Great. Um, I don't think that's the only way to do it. But what I would encourage you is, what's the rest of this day look like? And what would it look like if God said, I can give you a day each week that you can spend for me? What would you do with it? And if he says, uh, well, God, I reckon I can give you an hour and 15 minutes and that's pretty generous, by the way, God. I, I can give you, you give me, do you give me 24 hours? God? Right. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote an hour and 15 minutes to you, and I want you to be thankful, God. It's a pretty challenging thought, isn't it? So if we had a day, what would it look like if we devoted it to the Lord? And the, the beautiful thing about Christian freedom is there's no plan. You don't have to do anything. You can do as creatively as you want. What would it look like if you're honouring God with that day? I think it's a great question, Bill. And I, I keep working on this. Um, I take a day off because you're looking at me and you're going, aren't you working on Sunday? Um, I take my day off on a Thursday and I try and work really hard at resting, but also trying to work out what does it look like to, to, to send this day to God? 
I don't think I'd do it perfectly, incidentally. Another question? Yeah. Was Israel ever any good at welcoming in foreigners? I don't think so. I can't think when they were. Um, no. I think the only time they welcomed in foreigners that I can think of in large numbers was when they, in the Gibeonite deception, when they were tricked into thinking that the people were far away and they actually ended up sinning against God in doing it. Um, no, look, I don't think they were. I think they would. This is so difficult because they were really precious, right? God said, you're, out of all the nations of the earth, you will be my chosen possession. And I think they went, badge of honor, right? Talk to the hand world. We're the most important people, right? And so when other people wanted to come in, I think their pride stopped them in the end. Um, although we do see glorious exceptions, um, I think the reason that Jonah is in the Old Testament is to actually attack their failure. It was God saying, I will save your godless enemies. I will show you that I love them. You remember the rebuke to Jonah? Okay. Um, shouldn't I care about this city of 120,000 people? The idea was that God's chosen person didn't care. So as a rebuke, I think the whole book of Jonah is written to rebuke God's people on failing at that. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. So God did scatter Jewish people, and he, and he did it in a variety of different ways. He did it in the exile, and then he's done it afterwards uh, with uh, the, the second diaspora all over the earth. Um, all I'd say with that is I, I can understand if, if you were able to literally quote a chapter and verse and say, we're the, we're the chosen people. I can understand that. And look, here's the challenge for us, isn't it? We're the chosen people. Keep it to yourself. Don't pass the blessing on. Do we know something of this? Some of you are looking slyly. Yes, we know something of this. We keep it to ourselves, don't we? Okay, one more question. Has anyone got another question? Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's extraordinary. So God is, is sovereignly including Gentiles in. So we saw a prostitute get included in. We saw um, Ray, uh, so Ruth get included in. Yeah, it's the high priestess of On or something. It's, it's, a, it's an Egyptian god, that uh, God's priest that Joseph marries. And from them comes two offspring that are included in. Anyway, God is always thinking about, I think that's the challenge we've seen. God is always thinking about the Gentiles, even if Israel weren't. All right, Jeff. Jeff said Solomon welcomed a lot of foreign wives. You are absolutely right, Jeff, and we won't see that as a um, point of uh, credit to Solomon in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to stop there. Happy to chat further afterwards if you've got more questions. I'm going to hand over to, uh, to Michelle, who's going to take us through. Thanks, Michelle.